0: Clearly, the process that I've gone through, all of it, including um, the work with David, has made me a better writer. It's made me more uh, sure about what I'm doing. This book is a good book. I'm not one of those people that likes to tout his own um, uh, things. This is a good book. The other books are um, going to be good as well. I'm Don Hall.
1: And I'm David Himmel.
0: And
2: this is the Literate Apecast.
0: These apes are not emotional support animals, and they fling verbal poo. Listen with caution.
1: We have a very special guest this week, which I'm super excited about because this, um, Brendan Wilson is with us, and Brendan... Uh, well, he spent 25 years in the military as a U.S. Army Ranger and paratrooper before uh, retiring as a lieutenant colonel. Then he joined NATO, where he spent 15 years as a defense planner and diplomat. So, like, he's my people, right? I mean, this oh, is. Oh, yeah. He's my guy.
2: Yeah, you you hang out with guys like Brendan on a daily basis. It's just you no, and, hanging
1: out with. Uh, yeah. And, no, but it gets better. So he's a former coach and team captain for the military martial arts competition, of the the military arts competition teams in the 101st Airborne Division and the 18th Airborne Corps. He holds a master ranking in three different martial arts. And he won the silver medal in in the 2009 U.S. Open for Taekwondo. He's also one of the founding members of Aristos. Aristos? Uh, Brennan will correct me on that. Aristos? There it is. Uh, It's a form of martial arts based on Classical Greek principles, so he created a form of martial arts. So, like again, my guy, like yeah, and we are,
2: and and the reason—I mean, you you haven't really explained it to the audience, but the reason based on his credentials is we're talking Cobra Kai today. That's all we're talking about. Right, that's the the Netflix Cobra Kai series. David and I on the podcast have we have a we have a mutual love for Cobra Kai, so I'm I'm excited to hear your breakdown of uh, each season, Brendan. (laughs) So.
1: But, but the truth is, uh, well, I firmly fiercely agree that the things I just mentioned are, are really awesome bona fides. Uh, the reason that Brendan uh, and I know each other is because once he retired from the military and, you know, he re, he, re, he went into film producing and writing. So he wrote and produced uh, two shorts um, and the executive produced the web series that I was head writer around, Greetings from Prison, which is how we met. Um, and... He's now, well, he's he's studying. Uh, he's just about to finish his first year of, or his final year of law school, and he's going to take the the bar in July. And he's also a published author. Yeah, hey Brendan, uh, is,
2: Brendan I, I have to ask you, what, what what are you slacking off? What are you? You're You're you're, <laughs> right? you're, a, you're a real freaking hippie, man. I mean, Jesus, you don't do anything. You're just like you're just lounging around. Was it Margaritaville where you live? What? Yeah,
0: you're, you're very kind.
1: Thank you. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. So he he wrote this this brilliant novel uh, called The Achilles Battle Fleet, Book One, My Ling Lee, and because he's done so much, he's really mastered the art of you know work smart, not hard. So it's it's an incredible story that's only three pages long. That's it. He got it yeah. all into three pages. Boom, done. <laughs> uh, no, all kidding aside. I mean, it is. I mean, to Don's point, Don or uh, uh, Brendan, like the book. It is incredible, but there's a lot of stuff in here. It's not a long book. It's not War and Peace. It is not uh, Infinite Jest, which, Don, I know you'll defend it, but it's a terrible book. I
2: love Infinite Jest, and I I like – this is not Infinite Jest, but I do love Infinite Jest, so.
1: The only point in Infinite Jest are on the corners (laughs) of the book. That's it. You know you're wrong, but that's okay. So, Brendan, uh, thank you for Mm -hmm. being here today. Um, You were kind enough – to to reach out to me based on our relationship with Greeks in prison. uh, You wanted to publish this book. So uh, let's talk about the book. Let's talk about your experiences. Um, I want to start with um, the inspiration for this, because it's a, why don't you just take a minute to tell us about what what the book is in in your own words, and then we'll get into what inspired it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. First of all, um, um, guys, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really honored to, to be on your podcast. Um, and it was quite an honor that you had selected me to, um, to publish, uh, my first, uh, novel under Liberate, Ape Press. Um, so, you know, what, what happened with the novel was I didn't really set out to write a novel, um, about 10 or 11 years ago. Now, um, I had an idea in my head. It was just sort of a scenario. Um, it was, a starship comes under attack and the people have to start responding to that. So it was kind of like the idea was in my head and it needed to get out. And I wrote um, what turned out to be chapter one. Um, and then the, the characters just sort of wrote themselves after that. Um, you know, if you read the book and of course you were the editor, so you have read the book. Um, it, has a, it has a plot, um, the plot moves ahead, it works. Uh, But there was no real plan for a plot when I first um, started out. And what I drew upon was uh, my interest in science fiction, um, some of my experience in the military, uh, my experience and interest in the martial arts. But I I think what I was really kind of after is what happens to people under stress when they have to make difficult decisions that are defining to their character? Um, And I'll just give you a a quick example you know, Mei Ling Lee has to make tough decisions in combat, for which there is no good solution. There's going to come harm, no matter what action she chooses. She chooses a course of action, and those courses of action have consequences for her and for other people. and the And the real question is, how does she really deal with that? How does she think about herself after she's had to do some very, very hard things? And I think. People in the military, but everybody relates to that because we all make decisions like that. Look at the pandemic, the decisions we've had to make for our health, for the health of our family and friends, for our jobs, for our finances, for the community. Those are difficult and those decisions have a price. And I don't let the reader off the hook or the characters off the hook
1: when that price has to be paid. That's a hell of an answer. Yeah, well, it's, it's it's it's, it's it's not like it's, he just wrote
2: it it's not like he just wrote no, it last week. He's been he's been working on this for a long time. I'm pretty sure the elevator pitch has uh, been refined.
1: Well, but what's fantastic about it is that it speaks to the real importance of what makes a good story. Is it's you know, you start like I don't know. I got this idea. Let's see what happens. I'm going to sit down and just write it out and blah. and then you find yourself in this jungle of ideas and then you slowly start to make sense of the characters like, oh, that's that kind of, you know, the trees start to make sense to you, the leaves and everything that got weird. But I I, 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 I loved what you said that you had no real plot, but when you started writing, the characters started to take shape. And it really quickly, while well, you wrote the book before the pandemic, um, and I think for the most part before it you know the age of Trump, the post Obama, like when the real rift happened before January six. Let's just let's just put sure. that as a marker, right? That's sure. fair. Uh, but what you wrote about really speaks to what's happening today. The hard decisions we have to make. What what side are we going to be on? Where do we? What does right now mean for the future, and how long is that future going to be? Which is, I think, just a credit to your understanding of of combat, of politics, and of and of the human condition.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, you know, one of the nicest compliments I ever got was from General Wesley Clark, who was kind enough to write the... Uh, wrote the
1: forward. yeah.
0: He was the NATO commander um, when I served um, in Europe in the uh, mid to late 1990s. And I took this out and put it on the back of the book. He said, readers will take from Brendan's novel... An understanding that individuals make a difference, that character counts, and with courage and competence, history is made. Now, General Clark is also a historian. I don't, most of you won't know this, but he was a Rhodes Scholar, um, and he also teaches a history course for um, for the great courses, um, and uh, so for for him to have said that really meant a lot to me. It meant that he read the book and he understood what I was trying to get through um, and um, I, I really appreciated that. I do, I do have this one little anecdote about General Clark, if you'll let me tell it. Please. So first of all, I don't re- I'm not really the person that has heroes. I don't have generals and politicians and historical figures that I think are great. I, I always come with a little bit of a jaundiced eye. Um, General Clark <laughs> is probably one of two or three people that I'll make an exception for. Um, so I was part of his staff, in 1998, in July of 1998, we went into Srebrenica. And if you remember, in 1995, um, the Serbian army had come into Srebrenica, rounded up the 7,000 men and boys and executed them. It was the largest uh, mass execution since the end of World War II um, in the stadium there. And then all of the men, the women and children who lived there had been driven out. So, um you know, the, there was a uh, the Dayton Peace Accord was being enforced by by NATO. General Clark was responsible for the military component of that. And he wanted to go see uh, the town. So we went in with a very small team, not a bunch of military people. Um, he had his close protection team, a few diplomats. I was there as his public affairs officer um, and he just wanted to walk around the town. So and General Clark was the kind of guy that wouldn't be handled. You know, you couldn't give him a schedule and say you will do this. He'll say, "Yeah, that's right." I wouldn't. He said, "What's that over <laughs> there?" I say, "Oh, that's the unemployment building." Let's go over there. So we're walking around, and um, as we uh, as we pulled up, another busload of people pulled up, and it was journalists under the supervision of the OSCE, which is not a NATO organization, and they had brought in Muslim journalists from Muslim countries and from Bosnia and other areas, and no Muslims had been back for three years. Remember, they'd all been killed or driven out um and uh they you know it's a free (laughs) it's a free country i couldn't tell them to leave or anything and so they just sort of followed him around and at one point um uh their press officer said can we do a press conference and so i asked you know the head diplomat who then asked general clark yeah we can do a press conference yes we'll do it right here on the street so we stopped on the street and there was probably i know i know you guys have done this there's a bunch of journalists there was four cameras maybe 20 journalists, everyone's got a microphone up and they're asking him questions. And as that happens, one of the security guards comes over to me and says, the interpreters are telling us that the men of the village have told these young boys to pick up rocks and throw them at the general. And I said, what will you do? And he said, well, we will just get between him and the rocks and then we'll move him out of here, but we're not gonna stop the press conference. So it's not for me to say anything. And then behind him comes an older man and gets up on this little wall um, and he starts to shout at the general in Serbian. And it looks like the man is intoxicated. Um, I mean, my view was it's the town drunk, but that's just me looking at the guy. I'm, I'm not an expert. Sure. Um, and so it's interrupting. All the cameras are on the guy. So General Clark turns around and he tells the interpreter, he says, tell him, tell him to come down here. Right. So here's the interesting thing is General Clark actually speaks Serbian. So he knows what the guy's saying, but he's going through in the interpreter for the benefit of the cameras and for everybody around him. Um, and he's, and the guy says he's not coming down. And so General Clark says, tell him if he doesn't come down here, I'm not going to talk to him. So the guy steps down. Right. and Remember that everyone's getting ready to throw rocks at him. Right. And he puts his hands out in this sort of open gesture, palms up. And he says, what can I do for you? And the guy gets down on his knees, he grabs General Clark's hands and he starts to cry and he says, we're worried that you're going to kick us out of our homes, which was probably a reasonable fear because they had taken those people they had murdered. Um, And General Clark said, did you vote in the last election? And the guy says, no. And he said, this is your country, right? You want to stay in your homes? You need to vote in the elections. And that diffused the whole thing, right? And to me, that's just an example of, you know, General Clark's, his calm, his leadership, his ability yeah. to the situation. So as you look at one of the main characters in the book, General J uh, Admiral J. Chambers, that's somewhat modeled on Clark as an example of somebody who's cool, who's not afraid to make decisions. Um, and of course, I had to watch him. Uh, uh, I was able to watch him make a, a bunch of other decisions. Um, and at that level, of course, those decisions have impact on thousands of people's lives, civilian mm-hmm. and military. Yeah. Um, you really have to have the judgment and he's one of the people that I, I really do um, look up to.
1: So so you worked with General Clark while you were in NATO? Yeah, my first um, in NATO, so, 95, to nine,
0: 95
1: to 98.
0: Yeah. Okay. Still in the military at the time.
1: You were key at the time to Ukraine's integration into NATO. Is that Right, like
0: it, it comes a little bit later. So after okay. I retired in 2004, I went to work for the international staff as a civilian. So NATO is divided into a military side, international military staff. Um, and then it has a civilian side. It's kind of like the department of defense and the general staff. It's not exactly like that, um, but the, uh, so I went to work on the civilian side and as the civilian side, um I was the country officer for the planning and review process for NATO, for, um, for Ukraine. Now, Ukraine is not a NATO member. It's part of the Partnership for Peace. And one of the things that we worked with Partnership for Peace countries with under the planning review process was first defense reform to try to get their huge, they inherited this gigantic military from the Soviet Union, which was not supportable, which they did not need, um, which would crush the country's economy had they tried to keep it and they had to get that smaller, and they needed a more efficient, modern military that suited their needs. But they also wanted to be able to contribute to NATO peacekeeping operations. And so, in order to do that, they had to meet NATO standards for interoperability. Um, and that's difficult for, um, or at least it was difficult for these post uh, Warsaw Pact countries and Soviet Union countries to try to do that because they had a completely different um, way of doing business. So, my job was I would go in with a team. I would have a, an expert for land, air, maritime, border guard, security service, interior ministry, um, interior troops. And we would work with them to try to get them um, uh, into a place where they could meet their own goals. And I did that for 10 years.
2: Wow. So here's, I'm <laughs> a, I have a question going back to the book. Um, I'm curious. So you've got you've got your general um, and, and and General Clark was sort of an inspiration, you know, sort of an album, an inspiration for any any other of uh, the characters in the book inspired. And you don't have to say who it was necessarily because oh, no, I tell be, you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. yeah gets out of the bag on that one. So, yeah, I drew about people that I knew about. Right. Yeah. So the first one. Right. So I'm holding this up. I realize this, you guys are, aren't going to show the video, but I've got the book. There's the image of Mei Ling Li. <laughs> which David actually got for me, by the way, he procured this for me. mei Lee was based on my ex-wife um, whose middle name was mei So Sonia mei Russell was my ex-wife. Um, and, uh, and I still have a, a good um, um, respectful relationship with her, somebody I've met But she was born in Hong Kong like mei Lee. She's a master of martial arts like Mei-Ling Lee. She speaks five or six languages like Mei-Ling Lee. Um, and so the character was kind of based on her. Um, and I, I did use, um, you know, her as an inspiration. And there was one example um, that was actually like a real example. And that has to do with women being harassed in the workplace or women just working in a generally male dominated workplace. So um, my wife, um, who was a martial artist, one of the very large men who worked in her office, right, was six foot plus well over 200 pounds. My wife is my ex-wife is
1: five foot two. 120 pounds, maybe. I just, just got to say, I've heard this story before, and I love it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so anyway, please continue. So he had heard that she was a martial artist, and he thought that was kind of cute, right? Um, so he comes up behind her, and he pokes her to see what will happen. <laughs> and she turns around and puts him in a submission hold, right? <laughs> Which is obviously very painful for him. And she says, can I help you, right? And, and, he, and he says, no, 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 we're good, right? And so she twists a little bit and says, "You sure I can't help you?" Right? He says, "No, we're fine." She says, "I don't like to be poked." He said, "Message received." Right? Um, and in the book, there's a there is a scene where uh, Mailingly Li, um, is is sort of uh, tried to be bullied by an older um, uh, man, and she calls him out. And she said, "Let's let's do this." Right? You want to show me? Show me? Right? Great scene. Yeah. Um, so I did draw on that uh, for Mailingly. Li. You asked for some other characters. John Raymond, of course, um, <laughs> David knows this. John Raymond was based on my brother Ray. My older brother Ray is a retired college professor. As a PhD student, ABD in literature, got drafted in 1970 and went into the army as an enlisted man and eventually became a private, in a, I mean, became a sergeant in about um, uh, you know six months. And he served um, out at Fort Ord as a prison guard, right? Which you'd say, well, why, why is a, a, guy, a smart guy with a, with a PhD serving as a prison guard? Well, at the time, they were starting to withdraw from Vietnam and they were bringing a lot of people back who had been in detention in Vietnam who were difficult because they didn't really want to be in the army. Um, the army wasn't doing very, very well in Vietnam um, at the time. And a lot of these people had uh, substance abuse issues and so forth. And the previous... Uh, approach which was to be very difficult was to be very hard on them um, the hardline old school NCOs that wasn't working right you know violence beguts violence and what they wanted was a bunch of younger better educated people to go in there uh, and be corrections officials which is what he did and they made him the education officer. This character in the book, who was originally named um, Raymond Wilson, but then David said, you can't name these people after your relatives. So I changed it <laughs> to John Raymond because his middle, his middle name is, is John. You know. And John Raymond is a scientist. Um, he's a world-famous physicist, and he has been hiding for the last 20 years as a uh, maintenance um, uh, petty officer um, to avoid government assassins. But when the war starts and it's, and it's clear that there's some sort of scientific, some sort of mystery there, a technology being used against him, which they don't understand, he steps up and identifies himself and gets drawn into the group of people that are trying to solve the problem. So I did use my brother as an example. Um, uh, Jay Chambers, the name Jay Chambers is actually uh, the name of a friend of mine now departed Uh, He and I were best friends in high school Uh, when my parents died while I was still in high school. His parents took me in. Um, We went to college together. We went into the army together. We both went to ranger school. We both went into the army. Unfortunately, he was deployed into northern Iraq during the first Gulf War and about um, at a a rate about 10 times the normal rate. um, He he came down with uh, ALS and died from that in 2010. And so um, he was kind of my hero because he was the kind of guy that would just save your life, you know? And, and um, I, so I named it after him, after getting permission from his widow. Um, uh, so it was sort of like I used his name, but I also used the character of um, General Clark for that. Charlie Davenport, who is um, the NCO, uh, Marine NCO, who gets uh, direct commission to captain, ends up being a major. Um, that is the name of a friend of mine that I went to high school, um, <laughs> went into the Marine Corps, uh, was a sergeant, um, has since got out and, and, and led a different life. Uh, I also got his permission to use his name. Uh, interesting little anecdote there. I sent this book to the dean of my law school, right, Michael Clancy, uh, and he read it and he said, you know, I was an enlisted Marine um, as a forward observer, and there's plenty of artillery stuff in the book, right? during the Vietnam war when I was 17 years old. And he said, and I got a direct commission to captain, right? And uh, and now he's the dean of a law school. So he's done other things, obviously. Yeah. Um, also retired Lieutenant Colonel from the Marine Corps. So he liked that, that portrayal. He thought that was, you know, he told me that he thought that was a good portrayal. Um, Laura Zakani, who is the nurse practitioner, who's one of the heroes of this, that's named after one of my students when I was teaching martial arts in, in Belgium. One of my friends is a Hungarian colonel and I worked directly with him. And he said, I know you teach martial arts. I've got two daughters. Can I please put them in your class? And I said, "Uh, you know, okay. I mean, do they speak English? Yes, right. (laughs) They speak French because my wife speaks French. So we brought him into the class and he said, I want to come too. So we got the three of them and they were great students. But Laura Sakani was like an Olympic caliber athlete. And when she was about 14 years old, after about a month, she could break boards eight feet off the ground with the front kick, right? Oh wow. And her dad was this big, strong athletic guy. And she could she could take him to task. Um, she was very <laughs> aggressive. I just I just really liked her. She's one of those people. And when it came time for Peter to go back to Hungary, you know, because he's a colonel, he needs to go back to his, you know, he was we was just seconded to us, and he needs to go back to his job. I tried to get him to stay. And I went to our boss and I said, could you please leave Peter, let Peter stay? And he said, why do you want Peter to stay?" So Well, he's a great guy, I said, but quite honestly, his daughter is one of my students. And if you'll just let her stay, she's gonna be the Olympic champion and I'm gonna be your coach. And he said, no, and I even showed him a picture of her kicking the board way off the ground. He said, no, no, it doesn't work like that, Brendan. So, <laughs> fair enough. But she went back to Hungary and was the number two person in Hungary. Uh, in her category for uh, for oh. Taekwondo. And now she's doing other things. She's at college or doing. So anyway, those are some of the people that I based the um, the characters on. But again, I just wanted to sort of bring out my, my for so, for example, the the way that the language is written for the Hungarian speakers who speak English, I use the same kind of diction, the same kind of timing um, that I that I used to hear them use. The same thing with the um, the, the Chinese speakers. Um, to try to to try to get that into the flavor of the book, um, one of the most wonderful things that ever happened, as of course you know this, David, is we got um, uh, we got Harmony Zhang to to be the voice actor um, for the audiobook. and she is magnificent. Um, yeah, she that, all those characters beautifully.
1: That's a that was such a an interesting part of this project is well putting a. a a dog ear on, on, on harmony for a second is Brendan. You are so committed to getting this book right. And as and you know, it seems like an obvious thing to do, but some people are just like, I don't know, I just want to get it done and they get it out there. You were so committed to getting it done right and getting it and and marketing it the right way. That's that's the big thing, is writing and publishing a book is one thing. Marketing it is a, an entirely different thing, making it available. To the audio listeners was a, was really important to you, and it should be for all published books, you know. Right now, so when we went to find the right voice for the book, it was tricky because there are it's an internet. I mean, the character is an international cast. Yep. So you know, we d- we didn't want to get the you know. There's a narrator, and then and have to cast a bunch of different voice actors. Um, Excuse me. We wanted to find the right person that could do all of that could tell the story the way that I, in my mind, as I was editing this thing and helping it, you know, to get it out there was, I, I want Brendan's voice to come through. I want that single voice pushing the characters, forming the characters. And we found that in harmony. And she is, like, if you've you've read the book, great. Go back and listen to it. I agree. I told Bridget. It's incredible. It really, really is.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the interesting things about Harmony was, first of all, the book wasn't written by me with any consideration for what a voice actor would have to do. I was just trying to read. Right, right, right. Some of the dialogue is difficult. Um, The court-martial at the end has 11 different speakers. I know. And they're all different you know some are east african uh some are chinese some have southern accents um and uh and and so she she just nailed that i mean it's very believable as you're listening to it you know you're not distracted by the fact that she has to do male voices you know older men who are in their 60s or 70s um uh young women of course and uh harmony is also a native mandarin speaker and of course none of the book is in mandarin but some of the characters are mandarin speakers speaking in english with an accent and that cadence is something that she, nailed. she knows that right and she also knows how to pronounce chinese names correctly which i don't so uh, that's the kind of surprise. <laughs> oh, is that how that's
1: pronounced right
0: uh so i thought she just did a great job we were so lucky to get her but she um, nailed and then the other
1: german uh the, what is it um bavarian probably yeah yeah the bavarian act like she nailed it i mean yeah. on the first she just, on, on her submission, on her audition. Team, so you guys have like, sold me because oh, I've read
2: the book. I've read the book, yeah. but I, I now I actually do have to to get the the audio because it yeah, sounds, it's out there
0: yeah, for, you, for like $2 or something. If you yeah, get yeah it. I, I, I was sorry.
2: actually just looking it up. So here's, I've, I've got a couple of questions uh, that I'm going to ask you. So how,
0: it, it, how, how long did it take you to write this book, From Soup to Nuts? Okay, about seven years. Well, Soup to Nuts, yeah, about 10 years. It was about okay. seven years I had a, a version done. Yeah. I had written. Uh, at a time that I was very busy, um, you know, my work day, probably I was probably at work at my desk at six o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. I was about three months a year in Iraq, um, probably another three months in different different countries. And so I wrote it when I could. So I wrote it on the bus. Uh, so, on the
2: train. so your advice to any any writers that go, I just don't have enough time to write is uh, suck it up. Uh, <laughs> <you> know,
0: <laughs> just just get well, the job done. I've become a little bit more sympathetic in the last three years because <laughs> I've been trying to get through law school, apparently not as smart as I thought I was um and that has been all consuming That's humbling yeah <laughs> I haven't done any writing um since we finished the editing of this book, so
2: okay, so it took you ten years and then lots of busy okay, so this is book one yep and and my question is okay, so. I mean, there are plenty of ways to see sort of, is this a trilogy? Is this, you know, and is, and if it is a trilogy, do you, do you have a, because a, a, the book ends, I mean, it, I mean, it's not, there's not, there's no open door. I mean, I'm, you know, you can take characters, but there's no open door to this. It reminds me of, you know, you've got book one. It's sort of like Star Wars when it first came out. There was no episode four. I mean, they called it episode four, but there was no intent that it was going to be. Not at first, they didn't. Yeah, yeah. Not they. You know, they they wanted to see how it did, and then all of a sudden, you've got all this. So my question is, uh, how many how many more books, and uh, and and how long do you think it'll take you to write those?
0: Okay, so once I pass the bar, um, which I will which is pass, like in a week, you will pass.
1: In July, okay. Uh, okay like see. three months, yeah. Three months, okay. Months, right. yeah. I'm
0: going to do this. I'm going to go back to writing full time. Um, I don't think it'll take me more than a year per volume. Um, okay. So how many volumes you got? Well, I, I expected two more in the Mailing Lee Li series. Okay. Um, and then I, um, depending on the aptitude and the interest, um, some of the other characters
1: could have their own novels. The, and, yeah, because there's so many characters, yeah. yeah. And there's so, that's, again, what I love about this book is that all of the characters that are fully fleshed out? Are well, they're based on his
2: with friends it. and family. Of course, they're well, fleshed right, out, right? But they're <laughs> fleshed out.
1: But there is, there is so much more. Cle- there is clearly so much more to all of them that is like it's not just like oh, this is just that one time they they happen to be in a war in this battle, and I get who the character is and everything. Great. But who, what else could they do? It's just, there's just like little breadcrumbs in each character, which I think is so great the way that it was set up. And I don't know if you did that intentionally, Brandon, to not leave things out, because I don't feel you did that. But it just, the characters I think are so well-formed that that they're as three-dimensional as we are. I mean, Don and I have known each other for a long time. We know each other really well, but there are still things that we don't know about each other yet.
2: Oh, I know everything about David. I know exactly yeah. how superficial he is. I'm um, very
1: shallow. Yeah.
2: Yeah, very shallow man. So there's not that well, much I mean, to know, I you mean, know. <laughs>
1: here's here's an actual example. Katie, my wife who I've been with this summer it will mark 10 years that we've known each other and been together. She told me a story the other night that I did not know. And it it like it blew my mind and also like put a lot of things in perspective for me with her and her relationship with her family. And I'll tell you what that story is because it's short and it's sweet. There was she was in like sixth grade, sixth or seventh grade, and a Hooters commercial came on the television. She was watching television with her mom. A Hooters commercial came on, and her mom got like weird about it. And Katie just said, "Yeah, I really want to work there when I get older. I'm going to get a job at Hooters just to like just, to just get to, at her just to, just, to, just to get at her mom." And of course it did. And her mom like completely lost her mind. And Katie was just like, ah, isn't that funny? Like, you know, an obnoxious teenager thing to do to your parents, mm-hmm. but Katie told me this. I'm like, that's no knowing Katie, knowing her mom, knowing their relationship, I like fell off my chair laughing. <laughs> and I, but I had never heard that story before. Yeah. And it
2: just, so and then knowing David and see, this is how well I know David is an action, <laughs> She told the story the next day he came home with a Hooters costume for his wife to wear. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, no, I did. He did. I didn't he actually didn't do that. For, for, for no. All no. right. So uh, I uh, bought one on
1: Amazon. It'll be here in a couple yeah, days. Been, <laughs> yeah.
2: So, so Brendan, here's my question, because uh, one of the things that, uh, and you talked about book sales and and you know, and we and, and David's mentioned a little bit about marketing and things like that. And one of the things that we've noticed at Literate Ape, because we didn't initially this wasn't why we started Literate Ape, was to help authors get their books out there. That was not that was not our agenda. Um, and it just started to become more and more apparent that the 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 whole process of getting an agent and query letters and 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 you know the gatekeeping of what what people will publish or what they won't publish, and how long that takes, is that ultimately it's just sometimes. Sometimes it's just better to say I'm going to take the reins for myself, as Seth Godin says. I'm going to pick myself and I'm going to I'm going to self-publish and then I'll I'll deal with the rest of it. Yeah. So I guess and obviously you and David have had a, a relationship, a working relationship in the past. What was it like? And don't spare his feelings. What was it like working with David Himmel? Um, on this project?
0: Well, you know, it was my first time. Um, so all of it was new, um, uh, as David had said, you know, uh, perfectionist when it comes to your own product. So there, the, there was a painful process of me learning and perhaps some, um, you know, David adjusting to uh, me being a real pain in the butt um, as we yeah. went through that. But it was a good process. The, the book is good. Um, uh, and uh, so the how we got there, is, you know, is, is um, was a good result. Well, uh, how long I mean, did it take?
2: What I mean, would tell me? Tell me a little bit about that process, because I mean, because the thing about it is I think that is that that is because we end up having queries and interest from people. We have two different kinds of people. There are people who decided they're going to write they're going to write things. And and they're just this is what they would like to do. And this is the kind of help they need. And then we have people who have written lots, but have gotten sick and tired of sort of the rat race of of traditional publishing. And they're like, OK, this is you know, these guys are good and they're cheaper <laughs> than all these other, you know, all these. Other, yeah. So let's let's go in that direction. So what was the process? I mean, he's got you. know, you send him the first the first draft. And then how did, how did you guys communicate? How did that work? Where did you guys get, it was there like yelling phone calls or. Yes, of course. Yeah. I want to hear some of that. I want to hear some <laughs> of that juice. Everything
0: worth doing is, is worth doing um, in a difficult way. Right?
1: Yeah, that's, that's true. So, what, yeah. so, what,
0: <laughs> so what, let me just back up a little bit. So I had been writing this thing for about seven years. Um, in 2018, I got diagnosed with PTSD And NATO sent me back to the United States to get care from the VA. Um, So for a while there, I was on medical leave. And then eventually I was medically retired. And when it became clear that I wasn't going to be able to work anymore, um, uh, I decided to do two things. One is I wanted to finish the book, which I had pretty much finished. I mean, I had a draft of it. Yeah. Uh, The other one is I wanted to finish my law degree, which I actually started years before. Um, I finished my first year um, right as 9-11 hit. And I was the counterterrorism officer for NATO at a time when we were just extremely busy and I just couldn't keep it up. So I finished the first year um, and I wanted to get the book done. So I had reached out like everybody does to try to find uh, a publicist um, and nobody was interested. Um, I probably sent out 40 or 50 requests. Um, Mm -hmm, Maybe half the people wrote
1: back. Some of them not. Half is impressive. I'm going to say half. Half is
2: half is a remarkable number. That's a so win. You're, is that right? that okay. is I Feel a pretty win. good about yeah. that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. um, a win.
0: So um, I think um, what I did was I contacted Tommy uh, and asked him for some advice, and he said, "Well, uh, David Himmel has a company that does this kind of thing. Why don't you that's, get a and that's advice? Tommy
1: Beardmore, um, Tommy Beardmore uh, yeah. friend of ours. Tommy was uh, the creator of "Greetings Some Prison." One of my best friends, I was the best man at his wedding. Anyway, Tommy Beardmore, yep. Tommy
0: was also the priest in A Child Life's Here, which was my first short right. film. Right, that's right. And that film won a bunch of awards and Tommy was absolutely uh, fantastic in that role. Um, so he had he had said, uh, David's doing this. And David and I had, had worked a little bit uh, before on some of these previous projects. So I contacted him mostly by email, sometimes by phone, draft after draft after draft. Um, you know, we just went through the process until we, until we got it done. Were, in, were, were David's notes brutal?
2: Was he gentle with you? I mean, again, this was your first time, <laughs> and, and David, to it,
1: right? David, David, what's going on? I just have to give a shit. Uh,
2: no, I it's think not the it, is is that I'm
0: David raised or what the editor <laughs> should raise. You know, wh- why are you doing this kind of thing? So, for example, David, you know, as far as character development, where we'd had a we'd had a not a disagreement, but there was a question. I took one of the minor characters, um, a guy named Danner, who is a um, uh, um, he's an apprentice seaman, and he works his way up because he's a smart guy. He, he takes over the intelligence section. He eventually becomes a midshipman. Um, and he has to go through officer candidate program. Right. So I had uh, uh, several chapters of him going through his development and David had said, well, this doesn't forward the plot. Why are we doing this? Right. That's a, that's the right question to ask. Yeah. And the answer I gave to that is I want this character developed because I want to use him later in a different book. I want the readers to know who he is and what he's gone through and how other people have seen him and how he's had to try to, try to deal with some some of the difficulties that that he has faced he would otherwise have been a very minor character and somewhat of a flat character if you just look at the dialogue but he has some depth because of that so that's the kind of thing that we were um, that we were going through and I thought it was very helpful and useful
2: and so do you think uh, what you what you got out of that process with David uh, will make it easier for you to write the second third ninth tenth the force awakens you know. <laughs> <laughs> You know, does to make it easier, the lessons that you learned? And are you going to work with David again?
0: Um, well, I'm not sure David will have me again. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not. I mean, you I'm, know. I'm not the one picket um, here. <laughs> Beckers can't be choosers. Um, clearly, the process that I've gone through, all of it, including um, the work with David, has made me a better writer. It's made me more uh, sure about what I'm doing. This book is a good book. I'm not and one of those people that likes to tout his own um, uh, things this is a good book. The other books are going to be, um, are going to be good as well. And on one thing you guys raised, I actually think the book has a perfectly good open for, for a segue because we don't know what's happened to two of the key main characters. They're missing, right? That's fair. We don't know who's behind the, the conspiracy. Um, we, um, we, uh, let several of the characters are going through new transitions. One of them's in medical school. One of them's officer candidate school. Two of the main characters may or may not, um, getting married and having relationships there's all kinds of cool things to
1: happen there are this threads
2: is, to follow this yes. is where
1: the the subject the subjectivity of art comes into play yeah. don is perfectly happy with the book ending a little open with a with the door i don't jar. have a
2: problem with that yeah i don't have a problem with it he's, yeah.
1: he's like what's that's fine Characters. that's how go. life that's is. that's their life that's there the end of this go. particular story that's you know that's why well, he's but, been married three times it's just you know <laughs>
2: <laughs> well you know and it, it's sort of like i brought up the star wars analogy like the first star wars ends they have they have the big uh, throne room scene and they da, da, ba, but that da, was because da, 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 he wasn't da. planned i know but the, the sequels weren't planned there were, there were still there has, has plans yeah but there were still questions that you could ask which is why he but then if you look at Empire yeah. strikes back it ends on a cliffhanger. It, there is no question the end of the Empire Strikes Back is, yeah, fuck y'all, there's all gonna be it. another one. And then Wait, there's, let me, you let know, me and there's gonna be a third, so just chill out. It's like, yeah,
1: yeah. Running with the Star Wars comparison, Star Wars, brilliant. A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, like it changed movie making, it changed pop culture, it changed everything the stuff that came after that's not so great yeah but i firmly believe with brendan that he has created a star wars type book with these open-ended characters and and these really interesting characters and all the stuff that comes after this book one yeah is going to be just as great as but don't george lucas
2: yourself if you hit a point where you're kind of like hey this is pretty good and you suddenly go you know, I'm kind of bored, so I think I'm going to do a prequel. Stop yourself!
1: I mean, just just, just stop yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's maybe good, really good advice. Yeah,
2: because actually, and it's interesting that we mentioned the Star Wars, and before we got before you got on the the call, uh, I mentioned to Brendan this actually reminds me of uh, Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game, and uh, mm-hmm. that that's a science. Right. It's science fiction. There's military. It's a school. There's I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, But what's really interesting about that series is he started with Ender's Game and it's about Andrew Wiggins and then he follows. And so he's got two sequels for a triad, for a trilogy about Ender. Right. Well, then he goes back and he creates Ender's Shadow. Ender's Shadow is the exact same story as the first book. I mean it, it is literally the exact same story, the whole thing, but it's from the perspective of a different minor character. And then he goes off into a trilogy about this character. And and and, and like while while Ender goes into space and travels to the speed of light and doesn't age, uh, Bean is the character in Ender's Shadow, goes to Earth and becomes part of all these battle kids are now being claimed by their their different governments because they all have to have these brilliant tacticians in war. And so they're kind of doing uh, the land game. And it's really interesting. And I think, again, you know, when I read Ender's Game, it ended. Oh, okay, Yeah, I get it. it. It's over. I'm perfectly satisfied with that. But I loved all the sequels because it took all these ideas and kind of unraveled them. And I, and I actually think uh, your book has that potential where you've got so much because it's not a long book necessarily, but I would say it is a dense book. You know, there's a lot of ideas going on, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, there's, there's a lot of character development, but there's a lot of ideas being presented, being utilized as they're dealing with it. And it's like you said, it's, it's about characters making some very, very difficult choices. Um, and then having to kind of live with those choices. I think that's a, I think that's a universal. I think you can do that with every character. Ad nauseum, you can do it forever because that's yeah how
1: people live. That's the, the you know, well, that's it, what you're going to do. And that's what's, that's one of the things I really got to kick out of the, the, the book about was that, it's, it was like, it, it was adventure. It, there was a lot of like military jargon that I had to, uh, not not in the, in the bad way. Like I just had to familiarize myself with it a little bit. Like, oh, I'm going to learn things about how military commands work and how like actual conversation was. It's not all just do this. Yes, sir. Like there's like process, there's procedure well, there's, and process yeah. that is working in here in that there, becomes, yeah. and it's, it's not, ancillary it's yeah it like it moves the plot through because when my ling lee has to step up and provide give those directions to provide that process if you're not if you don't understand how the chain works that tension isn't there that needs to be there in the story and it is there so that's what brendan did that brendan that's what you did and so it there's a lot but it, it like it's. It melts in your mouth. It's just, yeah. it's, it's warm, I have,
2: delicious. I have one more question. It's I, really yeah, great. Yeah, I have one last question because, uh, and this isn't the sexy part. I think we've covered the sexy. We've talked about the sexy voiceover and the sexy characters and the sexy book. And we've compared it to all of Star Wars and the Ender's Game and oh,
1: God, everything getting, with Don is just sci-fi porno. Like, what you I love t- sci-fi.
2: I love sci-fi. <laughs> um, it's
1: it's
2: oh, one of my favorite genres. Lightsabers. Yeah, sexy lightsabers. Yeah. But here's the unsexy part. <laughs> um, marketing and sales. How is, because that is a different process. Writing a book is one thing. Getting it into people's hands is another. So, what what are your, your observations from that process on your end of things? You just wrote this book. It's a labor of love, but it's a but it's more than a labor of love because it's actually a really good book. What is what what's your experience right now, and what are you seeing? What are you seeing for the next whatever just to get this book into people's hands?
0: Well, we reached out to um, Tommy Beardmore's company, um, which um, him and um, uh, Natasha and um, Nikki um uh had divided up the the work right so somebody did the technical aspects with the web page um Natasha had gotten me interviews we probably done about a dozen um altogether um there'd been uh Tommy had worked on advertisements for um YouTube one of the problems that we had was even though Chicago should be a good market because of the pandemic we weren't able to do book signings and and that kind of thing um, we, that may open up um, right now um, so and what I had done is um, I sent the book out, um, inscribed copies to influencers, um, friends, people that I knew, people I knew from the military, uh, people that I knew overseas, um, with the, the hopes that they would spread it by word of mouth. Um, and I think right now, uh, the book sales has been pretty modest. So far, it's been out since October, um, that we were really looking towards sort of seeding the ground for follow on um, performance. So that there's people out there that know about the book. Um, we're learning as we go. The hopefully the pandemic will allow a little bit more um, of the activities that would um, help promote the book. I'm still learning. You know, I'm yeah. not an expert marketer. Um, I just thought, you know, General Clark signed the the thing that people would would buy just to read his part. It's been pretty. It's been a, a difficult row.
2: Yeah. Well, if it, if it makes you feel any better, I think David might grudgingly agree or what to actively disagree, but uh, there is no such thing as an expert marketer. They're all making that oh. shit up. They're all yeah. making that yeah. shit up. And exactly. and and in this and in the digital age and the age of I mean you gotta remember you're way ahead of the curve for a lot of people because you actually know what an influencer is because that word was not utilized until about I think two years ago and then oh it's influencers the fuck is an influencer yeah you know, I mean I get it but that's that's so I don't think there's anybody that's an expert at it the real job is to get people to 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 read it to to recommend it. Um, to get Amazon reviews, I mean that's a big thing. I, what I've I've done a lot of reading about this crap. Getting a lot, getting Amazon reviews, getting people to actually write those damn reviews, yeah. it is actually marketing collateral that you can utilize. And uh, yeah, and I like the you know the live events thing is is always good because I did live events for thirty years, um, and I and I always recommend that. Um, I actually have one. I actually do have one more question for you. Okay. Um have you thought about sending it to Netflix? Uh I, did, I have not. No. <laughs> because here's the thing. Um it's there there is a cinematic quality to what's mm-hmm. going on in this book. Mm-hmm. There are characters that I think from a I mean well, this is sort of like like the kind of movies people are looking to make now have international casts. Mm-hmm. And this book definitely has an international cast, very diverse cast. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, you're always looking for something and it's published. I, that's one of the things I always say is don't send a treatment of, of an idea, send a book. And then, you know, so yeah, I, I, I just, I, is that something that would be interesting? Maybe you could help you? me with
0: that. No, the only thing I have done is I've reached out to Calvin Steinken, who was the uh, director for um, the two short films Um that I helped produce. He is a wonderful filmmaker. Um, Absolutely astonishing. Um, uh, Both his films won a bunch of awards. Um, uh, Doug's Christmas was um, in the GI Film Festival. He won uh, the best film for um, Illinois um, in 2015. Um, Everything he touched turned to gold. Uh, Young guy at the time, I think he was in his mid-20s. And um, I know that he could make um, a feature film and 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 work it out. And one of the reasons I know that, even though I'm, I'm a new person, is that everybody that worked with him loved him, including some very experienced um, actors, uh, Clark Devereaux, um, who was the star of um, uh, Doug's Christmas, um, and also uh, Child Lies Here. I mean, he said, I, I love working with him. And he'd worked with Chris Columbus. You know, he'd been in Home Alone movies, a dozen different movies. Um, he said, no, no, this, This director knows how to handle the actors. He knows what he's doing. Um, He was a recent graduate from um, uh, Flashpoint Academy in Chicago. So I talked to him and I said, hey, let's get together after Christmas. But I have been so busy that I haven't followed up on it. Um, I think what we really need is $20 million. I mean, if you guys got that...
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's why
2: the thing is, and the, only yeah. thing I, the reason I mentioned <laughs> that is that we've got another, if you, if you look at the the literate bookshelf uh, right now, we've got two featured books on it and one is yours. And one is Eric Lewin's none of your fucking business. Uh, very, it's a very funny book. Um, but one of the things that uh, Eric has done is he's done a one man show and he wants that one man show to, you know, get made. And he was like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to, get it made. And I, and I said, what are you doing? And he goes, well, I'm, I made a sizzle reel, which is like a, you know, like a three minute reel of his show. And I said, yeah, that they're not going to. They're not going to do it with a sizzle reel. Sizzle, sizzle reel doesn't mean anything anymore. It, it, maybe, maybe years ago, it meant something. <laughs> I said, you need to get a three camera shoot. You need to do your one man show. And in front of four different audiences, you need to cut together the best of that and then send it to them. And he goes, well, they're not going to put that on the air. No, that is for them to look at it and say, Oh, Real people saw it. There are laughs. This is interesting. We like him. And so we're going to pay you $20 million to make it so that we can <laughs> sell it. That's how Netflix can do it. So I, mean, I yeah. think uh, you've got a book. Um, so it's, is there anything you well, want to Because I'm going to tell everybody that you can get it The Achilles Battle Fleet Book One, Myling Lee. Um, you, the easiest way to get to it is go to literateape.com, go to the bookshelf. It's highlighted there, but you can also find it on Amazon. I suggest that you follow Brendan Wilson as an author because you've heard it here. He is going to be writing 75 different books, um, all following these characters. And so you might as well just follow him as an author. But you can get the Kindle version for $2.99. But what you really want is the paperback version for $14.99. And if you are are on an audio trial... Yeah. yeah, if you're on an audio, if you're on the uh, the Audible trial, which I have, you can get the audiobook for zero dollars. So, I mean, you have lots of options to kind of immerse yourself into the, this world. Is there anything you would like the authors to know as we close out, Brendan?
0: Um, no, I mean, the there's, I also have a website called Brendan Wilson Writes that okay. has if you have they have all these interviews and so forth on that. Um, also set up by Tommy and his team, so um, it's very professionally done. Um, I would just like to say thank you again for the opportunity. I really enjoyed um, the discussion we had. Um, I'm honored that you would have um, taken the time um, to talk to me, um, to get my views, and to promote the book. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. We appreciate it. It's, it's a pleasure, Brendan. I'm so happy to, to have you here. And yeah, when the next book or the next you know, Netflix screenplay is ready, let's, let's do this. I mean, you've, right. you've, got, you've got partners, you've got friends, and you wrote an incredible story with legs and wings and you should be proud of it and people should buy it and read it or and listen to
2: it you can listen to the literate ape cast on apple podcasts stitcher or any place you find your podcast jones if you enjoy listening to two white guys holding court
1: review or share the show on your own platforms or throw us a few bucks on patreon For more information about Literate Ape, go to literateape.com and check out the rest of our podcasts, all of our writing, and our events. Music on the Apecast is courtesy of Mike Vinopal and Local Motive. You can find them all over Chicago and online at locomotiveband.com.